Welcome all of you to Foothills Christian Church and all of you online. If uh, you are out there or you're visiting with us newly here on campus, we want to invite you to be a part of our family. Uh, Foothills is a church where fluff is not enough. We want real answers to real life questions because if 2020 has taught us anything, there's a boatload of real life going on right now. So if you're uh, searching, if you are looking, then you've found a place where Jesus is king, and we're going to engage you in your faith. Our hope is that we can coach and inspire you in your faith. We hope that we can connect you into a group so that you can begin to be discipled or mentored or grow with other people. And ultimately, we want to help you serve because it's not just what you think, but it's what you do that brings transformational growth in your life. So if you're searching for a family, then we invite you this Christmas season to be a part of ours. Now, the other thing we enjoy here at Foothills is conversations. We have lots of conversations with people. And about a year ago, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I was having a conversation with a young man in his late 20s. And uh, it kind of got to the point about what is he looking to do for the new year? And he said, hey, you know what? This next year, I'm going to be a more confident person. I was like, well, that's cool. How are you going to do that? And he said, well, first of all, I'm going to believe in myself more. You know, I'm just going to believe in myself. And then he said, I'm going to take uh, more risks. Uh, and I, oh, and I'm going to trust my instincts on what risks to take. So I just thought, hmm, that's interesting. I go, okay, so tell me something. What if you trust your gut and you take a risk, believing you can do it, and then you fail? as if that's never happened. He's like, you got a good point there. I'm not quite sure how that works. Well, the reason I share this conversation with you is because, in a nutshell, this is why so many people seek happiness but never live or walk in it. And we're going to dig into why. Now, the challenge of trying to be happy is this. We all know that courage and confidence, security, hope are necessary. But when you try to find and build those things on yourself, it is a contradiction. And that's why so many people seek happiness. So many people long for happiness, but are unable to actually live in it and walk in it each day and every day. That is what we're going to dig into today, because I believe that that is why Paul wrote this letter, the book of Philippians, because the true path to finding all of these things in your life, confidence, security, hope, courage, which are the building blocks for living a happy life, is when you discover them outside yourself instead of trying to build them on yourself. And that's what the faith journey with Jesus is all about. The faith journey with Jesus is what grows our confidence. It's our journey with Jesus that grows our courage and our strength, our mental toughness. And that ultimately is the thing that raises your baseline attitude. So that's why we call this series, How to Live Blessed When You're Stressed. And if you're just joining us, either online, church at home, microchurch, or you're here visiting for the first time, I want to remind you of the context of what Paul is teaching, and it's called your baseline attitude. So we actually have a graphic that shows this, and 
what we did is we showed how all research out there, all psychological research and mental research, people who've studied happiness, people who've really dug into it, they found something really quite unique for every human being. And that is, is when good things happen to you, what are you for a period of time? You're really happy. So your mood goes up, right? But then if some, but what happens is after a few days, you'll regress to this baseline attitude. Now, if something bad happens to you, that something really sad or there's a loss or a difficult thing, you get sad. But over time, you will regress back to your baseline attitude. So what most people do is they go through life thinking, you know what, I only want good, happy things to happen to me instead of bad things. And that's kind of how we generally subconsciously do it. The problem is, is what we end up doing is we only focus on changing our moods. And we do things that put us in a good mood. We stay away from things that put us in a bad mood without ever actually moving our baseline attitude. And Paul writes this letter to basically show us how we change our disposition, our baseline attitude. Uh, If we kind of go a quick or a brief uh, review of what we studied, I kind of show you really, really quick as he lays it out. Number one is he says, discover your meaning for your existence. Because when you do that, that's where your baseline attitude changes and is transformed. Paul says you can only find this in Jesus Christ. And when you find yourself and your reason for existence in Jesus, that's when your life changes the most. Paul said in chapter one of Philippians, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So his total existence was found in Jesus. The second thing that we studied in chapter two was the principle is that you need to follow his example, okay? And you follow his example of humility. So that was the second thing that we studied. The third thing we studied is you must take your faith in him seriously by eliminating bad habits that undermine your baseline attitude and pull it down. And then Pastor Harv, last Sunday, excellent job. Love Pastor Harv talking about the power of a spiritual mentor. So you either need to be discipled or find a spiritual mentor or you need to become a spiritual mentor to someone else. So that's kind of brings us up to speed. All of these things pull that baseline attitude up. So whatever your mood is, you're always regressing back to this state of joy. And that's what's critical. So today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 23. And we're going to look at the main point. And that is found in chapter uh, 4, verse 4. So I have it up here, key verse, verse 4. This is the overall point today. Now, if you would pull up the phone app on your device and you can follow along in message notes, whether you're on campus or you're at church at home or later on, it'll be there in perpetuity. Don't you love that word, perpetuity? I don't know. It just rolls off the tongue. I like that word. In perpetuity, uh, meaning forever. And so what's going to happen is you can uh, also, uh, I'm supposed to say this all the time, subscribe to our YouTube channel. So that's where you get all the stuff. But the key verse here today, and it's on those message notes, and I want to make sure you catch it, is this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. So his point is this. We must always 
unequivocally live joyfully. Always rejoice, he says. That is our challenge. So if Paul's telling us to live in perpetual joy, then the question is, how in the world do we do that? In in chapter 4, he gives us basic everyday principles. There's four of them that if we practice them every single day, what we'll find is that we will be able to fulfill his challenge to us to rejoice always. Okay, so let's begin with one. In number one is how to manage conflict well, and we find this in verses one through three. Okay, and here's what it says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord this way. So he's saying, look, I love you guys. I want you to stand firm in the Lord. Here's how you do it. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, what's going on? Well, Iodia and Syntyche were two women who were in the church at Philippi. They had a conflict. They couldn't seem to resolve their conflict, so they kind of dragged everybody in the whole church into it, right? And so he's saying, look, I want them to get along by being of the same mind in the Lord. They don't have to agree on everything, but I need them to have a sense that they are on the same team. He goes, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. So not only should they endeavor, the church around them should help them resolve their conflict. Why? Because since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose name is in the book of life. So one of the things he says really importantly is I want them to come together and manage this conflict well. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, life is filled with conflict. And I have a little illustration here to kind of help you understand how this works, okay? Now, this is you, okay? So uh, you're, you're, you're filled with stuff, all right? And then this is somebody else in your life. Now, this could be your spouse if you're married, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's a coworker or best friend, or maybe it's your mother-in-law, or I don't know. It could be anybody, right? What happens is you're cruising along during the day, right? And then this person shows up, right? And then what happens is you come together and you always bump into each other. Oh, man. And what comes out? Stuff comes out. And usually that's not such a pleasant experience. Now, there's two rules or principles about this, okay? How are you doing with all your stuff before that person bumped into you? You were doing just fine. So if they hadn't have bumped into you, guess what? None of that would have come out. That is true. But you know, there's another truth here too, is that the other reason why it came out is because it's in there. It's actually in there. So you may know somebody in your life and you say, man, that person just makes me mad. I'm always mad when I, that person's so annoying. I'm so annoyed because that person is around me. Well, guess what? Yeah, they're bumping into you and maybe they're bringing it out. But there's another reason why it's in there because you may be a mad person. You might have anger in there that's unresolved. This is one of the primary things that pulls down our baseline attitude of joy. 
is when we do not on a daily basis endeavor to manage the conflicts around us well. Because what happens is subconsciously, nobody likes conflict. We all hate conflict. And so subconsciously, we'll start to avoid it and we'll do that chase the mood thing. Well, I'm just going to be around people that make me happy, right? I'm going to stay away from people who don't. But then you start living in a bubble. And guess what? Your baseline attitude will actually go down and not go up. So a couple things that you can do to help you manage conflict well. The first one is this, is have the mind of Christ. Notice how he says this. Encourage them to be of the same mind in the Lord. And then what does he say? He says, they actually worked along my side in the cause of the gospel. So one of the things that you can do is not become an easily annoyed person. Now, how many of you are easily annoyed people? If you're really annoyed constantly with everybody around you, you know, I'm going to tell you something that none of your friends will tell you, okay? And that is, you're a control freak. When we're annoyed all the time, we're under the illusion that we can control everything. And when people are not doing and following the program, we're so annoyed. And here's one of the things that's really important to understand. When you have the mind of Christ, what you do is you set the right priorities in your life, right? You have the right priorities. I'm going to contend for the gospel is what he says here. What you say is that there's a lot of things that are just NBD. They're just no big deal. There's a lot of things that we should just be at peace at. And yeah, you know, I've raised three kids. Well, I say two and a half because I have a teenager still. And it's not until you actually marry them off, I think, when you can finally say, I'm done. You know, even though you're always a parent till the day you die, at least you're kind of saying, okay, they're on their own. Um, so I'm, I'm at two and a half right now. And that is every one of my children are different. You know, they are not the same. They don't respond the same to my jokes or my humor. And one of them thinks I'm the funniest man on the planet. And the other one is like, I don't think I've ever heard anything funny come out of my father's mouth, you know? So it's just kind of one of those things is they're so different. But what keeps us together, what keeps us is that all their differences are no big deal. You see, it's no big deal. People are quirky. People are different. People are fun. People have idiosyncrasies. And actually, that's what makes life so much better than us all being blind robots, right? So when we have the mind of Christ, our goal is to love people and to try to introduce them to Jesus. And that helps so many things in my life not be such a big deal. So I'm not constantly having conflicts in my life. I'm more at peace because I'm living for something bigger than myself. The second thing is this, is that you must take the most important relationships in your life, and you need to learn how to resolve conflict in a way that pulls you together instead of pulling you apart. This is really important, and it's a learned skill most people don't know. About 10, 12 years ago, there was a couple that called me up and said, hey, we're, we're really having trouble in our marriage, and we'd like to come see you. And I said, sure, come on down. Uh, we set up an appointment. Tell me your story. Well, they were both raised in Christian homes. They were both very committed Christians. They had three children. They were very involved in their church. And they said, we're so involved in our church right now, 
we, we don't know how to tell people or work through this. Uh, we wanted to come see you first because you were recommended. And we wanted, you know, basically we're ready to get divorced. We, we're just, we're done. And I said, well, okay, tell me a little bit about why. And then she says, okay, I'll go first. Well, he, and then there was this really long list, you know, of stuff where he fell short. And then he goes, okay, now it's my turn. And then he had a really long list. So when I was just kind of listening to this, and I, I just started to th- hear a common theme, and that is they had no capacity to resolve their conflicts in a way that pulled them together. They always resolved their conflicts as individuals. You know, they would resolve it in a way that was good for one person, but not the other. And I said, well, I think you guys might have a little bit of a difficulty here. And she goes, you think? And I go, sometimes you have to state the obvious, I guess, you know. But she says, you think? She goes, I have a question for you. How do people fall out of love? Because uh, we've fallen out of love. And I said, I don't think people ever fall out of love. I mean, you don't go down the love train, you know, just, I'm on the love train, things are so good. And then you trip and you fall out of love. It doesn't work that way. People stop loving because of very specific reasons. And the primary reason that people don't feel love for each other anymore is because they resolve their conflicts in a way that pull them apart instead of together as one. And I said, what you need is you need someone to teach you the skill of conflict resolution. So I pulled a skill out. Uh, There's a lot of different techniques to use. I use one from Prepare and Rich. I sat down and I said, okay, let's resolve a conflict right now. Let's go through these steps. They went through these steps and they go, well, these really, really make sense, but we don't know if we can do this because we have such bad habits. I go, that's true. I said, so let's work on a little conflict that you might have. Let's go through it. So they kind of go through it. And I coached them a little bit and I realized you guys are going to need some more coaching. So I want you to just come back next week and I want you to bring your biggest conflicts. Okay. And we're going to use this skill. And so they showed up and they pulled out the conflict resolution and I kind of acted like an umpire, you know, I just had an uh, air horn there. And every time they messed up, I just blew it in their face. No, I I did that. But uh, I would go time out. Okay. Back up and do it again. And the first one, they were real rough. And then the next one, they got a little bit better. And then the next one, they got a little bit better. And the emotions would start to heat up and, you know, okay, time out, time out, tamp it down. And so they went through three or four conflicts that way um, on this conflict resolution skill on how to actually resolve it in the way that pulled them together. And I said, well, come back one more week. So they came back one more week and we did it again. But this time I just kind of sat back and watched a little bit. I said, okay, you're starting to get the skills. So in four months, I would love for you to come back give me a call, five months, six months, whatever, three months, and tell me how you're doing. Well, a number of months go by and I hadn't heard from them. So I was getting a little nervous. So I sent them an email and said, hey, just checking on you guys, praying for you. How are things going? And so I get this email back and you wouldn't believe what was in the email. You know what was in the email? Oh my goodness, pastor, I found my soulmate. We're so in love. This is like the honeymoon we never had. Things are so good. Our kids think we've lost our minds. And I'm like, wow. When you learn a skill like that, it makes all the difference. And this is what is so important to happiness. And that is learning to manage your conflicts well. Because if you do it every single day, remember I said these are everyday habits. When you do it every single day, then you're going to find your baseline attitude going up. 
Now let's go to the second principle he teaches, and that is you must live life in prayer and petition. Let's read verses 6 and 7 of our second point, which is live in prayer and petition. And sometimes the computer up there will freeze and it won't advance, but I'll read it for you. Verse 6, oh, there it is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Notice what he's saying. Every day, pray and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I'd like to ask you a question here. It says, do not be anxious. So what is one of the things that interferes with us rejoicing always? Anxiety and worry. Okay, then what does he say? He says, you should not be anxious about, what does this word anything include? Does it only include the good things in your life? Does it only include things that you like? Does it only include the things that you believe in? Or does the word anything basically mean anything? So that would include that in-law that drives you crazy. That would be the employee that you can't stand. That would be the COVID virus floating around all over the place. That would be politicians that make decisions and laws that drive you crazy. Don't be anxious about anything. And so the way we do that is by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And the key phrase here is with thanksgiving. I petition God with thanksgiving. I pray to God with thanksgiving. Why is that key? Because so many people find it difficult to pray every day. They're like, well, what am I going to pray about? And some people are like, well, I tried praying, you know, I asked God to do such and such and it didn't happen. And if I may be so bold or maybe a little salty today, I'd like to share with you that is the reason why most people don't pray every day is because they pray like five-year-olds. And what does a five-year-old want every single moment of every single day? A five-year-old wants what they want and they want it now. How does that work when you're 25? It doesn't, does it? Why? Because we're all expected to grow up. Well, in the same way, prayer and petition with thanksgiving is what grows us up. So when we live in prayer, we must not pray like a five-year-old, which is trying to get God to bend his sovereign will to what I want. The goal of prayer is to bend my will with God's will. And this is one of the most blessed things about prayer is the reason I pray every single day is that I align my heart with the heart of God. And that is where I start to get his perspective. And perspective is one of the most important aspects of being joyful always is when you have the right perspective. One of my favorite movies is The Incredibles, the first one, you know, and I wish I had time to tell you the whole story. We can't show clips because we don't have copyright permissions. And so, but basically, Mr. Incredible is going through a life crisis because he can't be a savior of the world anymore. So he takes a secret mission to a little island and he gets captured and imprisoned, right? 
And so his wife doesn't know where he is, and so she thinks he's off cheating on her. So she and the kids tag along without her knowledge, go to save him, right? And on the way to save him, their plane is destroyed. And he sees this, and so he thinks his family is dead. So one of the employees of this island comes in to help him escape and lets him go. And he's going to, you know, kill her, do something, because he's so despondent. And then who shows up to save him but his wife, Elastigirl. And so she catches him in a compromising situation. So she's coming in and she's like, he's like, what are you doing here? She goes, well, I'm here saving you for crying out loud and look at you. (laughs) And so he's like, man, I'm so happy. Grabs her and he gives her a big hug. And she's like, stop it. Cause she wants to be mad. And he goes, he says this, he goes, you just want to be mad and you want to fight, but I can't because right now I'm so happy you're all alive. What a great perspective. It doesn't matter whether we're stuck on this island. We got all these people who want to kill us. I'm just so happy that you're alive. Think about that perspective every single day of your life. I'm just so happy I'm saved. I'm just so happy that God has redeemed me. Man, when you live your life in prayer and petition, it changes your perspective so that you've unwrapped the greatest gift humanity could ever have every single day. Now let's look at verse three and we're gonna dig into the real critical nut, so to speak, of why people want happiness but can't find it. And it's in the third principle, verses eight through nine, and it says this, focus your mind. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, there's a lot of whatevers in here. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, here is the nut of why most people want happiness, but never are able to live into it. Because what he's saying here is in the context of something very important. It's called an unspoken premise. And what happens is most people hear this and they go, okay, What do I think is true? What do I think is noble? What do I think is right? What do I think is pure and what is lovely? I'm going to think on those things and then I'm going to become a happy person. I'm going to have positive energy, positive ideas, positive thinking, and it's going to change my life. But what Paul is saying here is not that at all. What he's saying is that you must make a choice. And here's your choice. Are you going to base admirable nobility, truth, and love on your own self? Or are you going to base it on something outside of yourself? Are you going to look for an objective standard of these things? Do you know why Christians rank highest in the happiness index over and over again? because they're not trying to build their happiness on them own, their own selves. They're building it on something from outside of themselves. This is the critical point, is that 
as I had that conversation with that young man, I was just trying to point out that when you try to make yourself happy, it is a frustrating and disappointing experience. Because what you're doing is you're trying to say this, how an imperfect person is going to create perfect happiness. An imperfect person is going to create truth. How can an imperfect person create perfect truth? An imperfect person is going to create perfect purity. An imperfect person is going to create perfect righteousness. You see, it doesn't work because it's incongruent. It's illogical. And so the best thing that you can do is focus your mind by making a choice on whether you want happiness from inside you or do you want it to come from outside you. And when it comes from outside of you, what you're saying is that I believe what God says is right. I believe what God says is true. What God says is noble. What God says is pure. And when that happens, you are going to begin to realize that your happiness baseline goes up and not down. Now, finally, he says the fourth thing, and that is this. And that has everything to do in verses 10 through 13, which is live generously. Notice what he says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So what he's saying is, thank you for bringing the offering from Epaphroditus. In verse chapter 2, we went over who Epaphroditus was. He was a member of the Philippian congregation. They took an offering and he traveled to Paul because Paul was in chains, imprisoned, and he gave it to him to meet his needs. And so he got really sick, but then he got better. And Paul writes about that in chapter 2. So he says, you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it, meaning they didn't have Epaphroditus to bring it, but now they have. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, and whether living in plenty or in want. And here is one of the most famous verses quoted by athletes and celebrities uh, today in America. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, notice how they translate it here in the NIV. I can do all these things or all of this through him who gives me strength. What does all this mean? Well, all this is referring to that. So what a lot of people think is, Jesus is like a steroid, you know? And so if I tattoo Philippians 4.13 on my arm, then I can get the steroid Jesus so that whenever I want to go out there and knock down that pass or do a pick six, it's because Jesus gave me the strength to do it. I'm like, okay, you understand the biblical principle, but you don't understand the application. And the promise isn't that Jesus is a steroid that you inject in your veins so you can go do whatever you want and be successful at it. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is I have learned how to be content in every single situation because Christ is working in me. If you remember earlier in Philippians, Paul said the same thing. It is Christ who is to will and to work in you for his good pleasure. 
Do you see how that works? What he's trying to say here is that Jesus is working in you so that you can live more joyfully because you're learning how to be content. So living generously is a daily habit that you must practice in order to rejoice always. You know, tithers are the happiest people on the planet. I've been doing this now for close to 35 years. And so over those years, in the different churches I've served, and in this churches, I've known lots and lots and lots of people have tithed. I have never met a tither who was a long-faced, as my mom would say, sourpuss. This has never happened to me. It's, it, it's just across the board, all research shows that tithers are the happiest people out there. Why is that? Well, number one, it's because they've learned this principle of contentment. They have learned contentment. So uh, there's a man who was doing research on wealth, and he said something really, really interesting, and that is, is he went and interviewed a bunch of people that were extremely wealthy. And so he went to one guy, and he was worth $5 million, and he said, do you feel wealthy? And he said, no, I don't feel wealthy, man. I'm working hard. I'm trying to push the ball up the hill. He says, well, what would it take for you to feel wealthy? He said, $10 million. When I hit $10 million, I'll feel wealthy. So then he went and he went and met a guy who was worth $10 million, and he said, do you feel wealthy? And that guy said, nope, not at all. Well, how, when will you feel? And he said, when I hit 15 to $20 million, I'll feel wealthy. So then he went and talked to a guy who was worth $50 million. And he said, do you feel wealthy? And the guy says, no, I don't feel wealthy at all. When will you feel wealthy? He goes, when I hit 75 to 100 million. He went and saw a man who had $500 million in assets. And he asked him if he felt wealthy. And that man said, no, I do not feel wealthy. When will you feel wealthy? He says, when I hit a billion. Now, what's interesting about that is he said, what's fascinating, the psychology of this is that these people were driven for more. And so they had never learned contentment. And so they couldn't even enjoy what God had blessed them with. And so the goal of Philippians is what? What's the goal here that he's writing? He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to rejoice always. And the key to rejoicing always is learning the principle of contentment. So when you practice a principle of the first, like you, uh, uh, which is tithing, what it is is it teaches you contentment. You're growing the size of your heart. So there it is. The challenge for today, as we close out our series on blessed, even when you're stressed, is to rejoice always. And these are daily habits. Live generously with your time. Live generously with your focus. Live generously with your resources. Just do that. Also, focus your mind on the things that are admirable and lovely. Not the things that come from you, but the things that come from God. Be sure to live every day petitioning God in thanksgiving through prayer. And always manage your conflicts well. Now, as with all series that we end, I prepare a blessing for the church. And I give it to the church. So I would like for you to stand as I speak God's blessing upon you and your life today. So if you're at home or you're watching later, stand. Some people like to put their palms up to receive what God wants to bless them with. Let us begin. Now, now is your time.
Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but right now. Now is your time to be a true and authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Now is the time to put away all the things that hold you back, all the things that stunt your growth, all the things that sap your strength, undermine your confidence, or shipwrecks your faith. Now is the time to set joy as the goal and to live every moment in happiness. You, you are meant for joy. Your soul longs for joy. And this comes when you discover true and authentic love, a love like no other love you have ever experienced, a love that is pure, a love that is admirable, excellent, and holy. It is so powerful, it transforms you from the depth of your soul. And you will not find this love in the world. You will not find it in another person. It is God love, and it only can come from God. And when this love explodes into your life, and you're a man, you will be infused with courage and confidence. You'll see every moment of every day a new adventure in which God can do wonderful and miraculous things through you and through your heart. As a woman, when you embrace this love and experience it, you will be affirmed in ways you never imagined. You will have a deep sense of security and acceptance that you never imagined. And the things which God will move through you, that he will entrust to you, will be a source of never-ending joy and affirmation. When we grab a hold of this God love, every child can begin to grow and develop to their fullest potential in what God has called them to be, because everyone around that child is interested in their best that they can become. And then all of us all of us human beings will be seeing ourselves in ways we never saw ourselves before. We will become one nation, united in faith, regardless of ethnicity, because we are a nation of faith, we are a nation of hope, and we are a nation of love. This is God's best for you and your life. And I want you to experience what he gives you freely. Amen. All right. Now we're going to let the host take us out. If you'd like to just sit for just a moment, and then we'll stand for closing prayer. Right now is the time to act on what the Lord has revealed to you. It is not what we intend or even hope or dream that makes the difference. It's being a doer of the word, taking a step of faith towards Jesus. If you are just starting your journey with Jesus, download the booklet from our website. How to Connect to Jesus is the name of that booklet. It will help you walk through how to start a dynamic relationship with him. You can get baptized. You can find out all you need to know or schedule a time simply by texting FH Baptism to 97000. One of the most important things you can do is connect to a small group or start one yourself. Down here is a link to where you can join a small group or start one of your own. Finally, if you need someone to pray with you, text FH Prayer to 97000. We want to be a church that prays for you and your faith. If you're doing church at home, watching online, or a micro church service, use the discussion questions to continue the conversation. 
If you're on campus, please stand for closing prayer. So God bless you, and please come back next Sunday where we start our brand new Christmas series called Jesus is King.